Hey, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We are MVF Church based out of Heber City, Utah. If you'd like to check out the live recording of this teaching, you can find that at mvfchurch.com. We're glad that you've joined us today, so let's get into the teaching. Raise up your journals today. All right, a lot of people, so uh, turn them to page 55 that if you want to take sermon notes because that's where we're going to be, or you can obviously use the notes that we hand out. I am going to say this. The notes, if you, brought, if you have a handout, none of that is what I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> this never happens to me, okay? This never happens to me. I, I, if you've read Luke chapter 2, this is li- literally the passage I was most dreading teaching in Luke. It's the birth of Jesus, which you teach at Christmas time, right? And I feel like, okay, I got that. But then it's him being presented in the temple and then him going to the temple at 12 years old. Not a lot in there that I'm like, oh, this is, this is good stuff. I really just like to apply this. I, I'd never once heard a sermon taught on either of these topics. Um, and so I had something that I, I put together. Last night I go to bed and I am just like, this is not good. This is not good. I am not, this is going to, what a great way to start a series off. Just going, oh man, this is the worst sermon I'm ever going to preach. Um, and I, I went to bed just stressed out over it. I even took a sleep aid to try to just, I just I'm just going to go to sleep and get up, set my alarm for five in the morning and get up and see what I can do with this. And um, so, but, and I don't, I've never say this. I truly believe God woke me up at one in the morning and I rewrote the sermon at one in the morning. So, uh, so your notes mean nothing. Um, I did my best to come in and give them some aid on the slide. So hopefully the slides are going to be following. But and I'm not going to tell you that God gave me the best sermon I'm ever going to preach, but at least gave me one that I feel at least, okay, I got a sermon that I'm confident with. Um, you know, he just, he loves me. and it's not, He loves me enough to give, give me that. So, all right. Well, uh, with that, today's sermon is entitled Three Statements of Hope. Three statements of hope. Um, you know, last week, as we jumped into Luke chapter 1, we saw the announcement of a new king. And we learned about that new king, that the new king was going to be like no other king. He was going to be eternal, that he was going to bring salvation for all people. But today, we're going to look at the birth and then the only biblical account we have of Jesus as a child. Now, there are some extra biblical writings uh, that you're welcome to read, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Infancy. Uh, however, they're not considered scripture, and the, the, the authority of them, the, the, um, the, the background of them is, is not necessarily as, we don't have as much evidence that they were firsthand accounts. Okay, so you can read those if you want to. Uh, a lot of it is definitely theology that kind of gets off of the, what I would say is the best, but they are out there. But as far as the Bible, we only have these two things in Luke chapter 2 that are outside of the birth or Jesus' ministry. So we're going to pick up today uh, in Luke chapter 2. And what we find here is that Joseph is from Bethlehem, and a census has been called. And when the census is called, Joseph has to go back to his home city of Bethlehem, and you would actually call it a hometown. It's a very small place. And he travels from Nazareth with Mary to Bethlehem, and most of us know this part of the story. They get there, and the place is full. There's, it's, 
a lot of people. Uh, this census was definitely good for business, if you will. And so oh, oh, there's no rooms left, right? It's like, it's like Swiss Days. Anyone, anyone, any Swiss Day fans here? I'm not a Swiss Day fan. I'm sure some of you are. I'm not a Swiss Day fan. I can only look at so many homemade things and convince myself it's worth standing in line for two hours for Navajo bread once. I did that once. And then I'm like, nope, don't ever need to be here again. And we get out of Dodge if we can. But, but it's like that. It's like all these people that don't necessarily live there, come to be there. And so there's no room left. So they, they end up having to sleep in a barn. And as would have it, of course, that is the night Mary it gives birth. And she gives birth to baby, the baby Jesus in a barn and lays him in the manger. Now, what I want to do is pick up in verse 10. Because what happens is we see that there are some, there are some shepherds not far off in the fields, and some angels appear to the shepherds, and this is what we read. The angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. There will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this first statement shows us that we have hope through the Christ. We have hope through the Christ. I love that the first people that get to hear about this hope are shepherds. The first people that this announcement is made to outside of Mary and Joseph, the first people is shepherds. Why? Because shepherds were the outcast. And when God comes to be with us, when he is Emmanuel, God with us, the first people he chooses to share this with are those that are the outcasts. See, I think sometimes we think of shepherds as a spiritual profession. A lot of spiritual people did this, but they were, these were the, this was a job that nobody wanted. This was the people that were considered kind of the, the lower class, second class citizens by people that considered themselves righteous and by people who considered themselves to have family values and all this, this kind of stuff. And a lot of times they, they lived with this shame of being not accepted by people. And so God's first announcement to, to people is to people that needed to have hope, to know that God loved them, that God wanted to Reach out to them. And see, that, was the, that set the precedent for all of Jesus' ministry. What do we read? We read that Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. That Jesus came for those that, that needed to know that they, have, that they were loved. You know, what was Jesus accused of? A lot of things, throughout his life, Jesus was accused of eating too much, drinking too much, and hanging out with the wrong people. Now, I don't believe Jesus ate and drank too much, but I do believe he ate and drank with the wrong people. What was people that the world considered, oh, you, sh you shouldn't be spending time with those people. People that righteous people would have said, oh, you know, when you, if you spend time with them, they're going to rub off on you. We don't, you know, that you're, you're not going to, they're, they're never going to listen to you. Obviously, look at the lives. They've made choices that put them where they're at. Why waste your time on that? See, the religious people at the time did not spend time with the kind of people that Jesus spent time with. 
And we're going to see that all throughout as we go through this series, that Jesus constantly spending time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the shepherds, pretty much the three lowest classes of people in the hierarchy of society, if if you call it that. Why? Why did he do that? Well, it's the same reason that he makes the announcement here to the shepherds, that, the angel, that God made the announcement to the shepherds, is he wanted them to know that they were valued, that he had not forgotten them. Remember what Zechariah, we talked about last week, Zechariah's name is God remembers. And he wanted to get across to them that God remembers them. Society may forget them, but God remembers them. God loves them. The second reason I think Jesus did hang out with those people is Jesus liked to have fun. I think Jesus liked to have fun. I mean, think about it. When Jesus got invited to the wedding, you remember the the first liquor run when Jesus turned the water to the wine? Um, When Jesus got invited to that wedding, his ministry hadn't even started yet. He wasn't being invited to that wedding because he had clout. Like it was like, ooh, I'm inviting Jesus to my wedding. Did you know? Did you hear? I'm, Jesus is coming to my wedding. Did you hear that? No, it wasn't that. He, was, he hadn't done anything yet. He, got, he was invited to a wedding, probably because he was fun. And he probably went because it was like, hey, a wedding. That's fun. And he went. He, I think sometimes, and that's one thing we'll talk about through this, we got to remember that, yes, Jesus is fully God, but Jesus is also fully human. And a lot of Christians don't like to think about that. Jesus lived the full human experience that we live. That's one of the most powerful things about Jesus. It's one of the most powerful things about the incarnation. And so so the announcement is made first. Hope is brought first to the shepherds. But why is there hope? Well, because of the Christ. If you read the angel's announcement, he says, because The Christ is born. That a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. Now, I I don't know if we all know this, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, if you're not aware, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. And it can be kind of confusing if you're reading your Bible for the first time. It says Jesus Christ. You know, if you read a Bible, if you read a book about me and it said Shane Finley, you just assume Finley is my last name because it is. But Christ is not his name. That's a title. That that title, the Christ, actually, is what what it really is. It's Jesus the Christ. When you read Paul and you read uh, the book of John, oftentimes they they take the time to write the Christ. But the other writers just assume it. But it's Jesus the Christ. What does that mean? It's the anointed one. Now, when a first century, actually first probably three century people would have read Jesus Christ, here's what they would have read. They would have read Jesus, the mediator between God and man. Jesus, the agent of reconciliation between God and man. That's what they would have read. That's what they saw when they read Jesus Christ. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind as we read that word in this study because we have to remember from the very beginning, that was the point. Because oftentimes we can kind of forget that that was the point from the beginning. So he announces that there is hope 
through the Christ. So what happens? The shepherds run to see the baby Jesus in the manger. And when they find Jesus, they, it's, the Bible says that they are praising God, giving glory to God, and telling everyone about this. Right? This, imagine, this is a pretty miraculous thing that's happened. They, they, they got a visit from an angel. They see the baby. And so now they're, they're obviously telling people about it. I love verse 19, though. Verse 19 sticks out to me. Because it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And, no, and if you have your text, if you have your Bible or in your, um, in your phone, if you're looking at your text, you'll also notice in verse 51, it says something very similar. It talks about her pondering these things in her heart. And I think it's just worth noting. You know, all this stuff is happening. Everything's going on. But here's the mom of Jesus. Just, I picture her just kind of holding him in a corner, trying to get a little rest, but also just gazing at him and pondering these things in her heart. And chances are any of you moms in here can remember having your babies and pondering what the hope for them is, what their life could be how much you love them. And then we see later on, he, she does the same thing when he's 12 years old in the temple. And, you know, I know some of you moms, when you've, you have 12-year-olds, you're pondering why you had them. I mean, no, um, but, no, <laughs> you, but pond, still when you see them doing something, because he, he's, he's, he's in the temple and he's, he's teaching and learning, and, and she's probably just pondering these things like, wow, this is one more step of seeing him become what I know he's going to be and not really fully getting what he's going to be, but, but just thinking about it. And I just love thinking about the life of Jesus through the eyes of his mom. I think it's just a pretty, what a powerful and yet unique mystery type of position Mary had to have that role in his life. So next, we jump down though to verse 21 and we see that hope from an old man. Hope from an old man. So now Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, which by the way, if you were here last week, we had some families dedicate their children. And this is why one of the main reasons we do this is because we see in the Old Testament in Leviticus 12, it actually talks about dedicating your children. We see that Mary's, or Jesus's parents set that precedent of taking him and dedicating him. And I think it's a great thing for us to do to show that as parents, we, we want to take a personal responsibility in raising our children and presenting them to God for his will. And so that's one of the reasons we practice this here at the church. If you're interested in doing that, you can sign up uh, on the app. Uh, we, I think we almost always have a registration open for uh, child dedication. But they take him to the temple. And there's this older man named Simeon there. And Simeon hangs out a lot at the temple. Many people did. But it, it, was a, it was definitely a, a place where people would gather. But he, he spends a lot of time at the temple. But the reason he does is for a very specific purpose. God had told him that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And so, pretty wise on his part, what does he do? He goes where babies are taken after they're born. He goes where they are dedicated and, and so he can be on the watch for 
the Messiah. And sure enough, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus. And it says that when Simeon saw Jesus, verse 29, he, he held Jesus in his arms and he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon here finds great joy in this promise that's fulfilled. So he himself now has great joy. He has hope because of the promise that he's fulfilled. He can die in peace. Notice this though. Something if you're taking notes, it might say, we might add to this, that Jesus brings hope for those who are looking for him. Jesus brings hope for those who are looking for him. God gave Simeon a promise that he would see the Messiah, that he would see the hope, the Christ. But did Simeon go, okay, God, you promised me that I'll see the Christ. I'm going to go hide in this cave. And if, if, if you're real, God, then you, you send the mom of this child to go find me in the cave out in the desert. And I, when I lay eyes on him, then I'll believe. And then you'll fulfill your promise. He didn't do that. He also didn't say, okay, God, you gave me this promise. I'm going to live my life just exactly the way I want to do it. I'm just going to live my life for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you are going to, if you're real and you're going to fulfill your promise, you're just going to bring the child to me on the streets somewhere. No. See, he was looking for it. God gave him promises. God made promises. And he wanted to do his part and say, I want to see these promises. I desire to see you, God, in my life. And so because I desire to see you, I'm going to seek it out. I'm going to go where I should go. I'm going to be where I should be. I'm going to learn what I should learn. I'm going to grow how I should grow so that I can see when it's there in front of me. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us as Christians, we kind of live like the first two examples. I'm not, not necessarily as Christians, a lot of people in the world, though. You know, I, I've, I've dealt with a lot of cynical people that literally just kind of, well, I'll, I believe in God if he would just, he says he does miracles, well, do, do a miracle. Do it, do it. God, do it, do it. Right? Like this kind of cynical mindset of like, God, you prove yourself. I'm not going to do anything. Like he has the one that some, has something to lose. God has nothing to lose if you don't choose him. Do you? Are we all aware of that? He has nothing to lose. If we want to see God at work, we, we need to desire it, to see it. You know, even me waking up this morning, I told my wife, I am not the guy. You know, I, I wish I was sometimes. I wish I was the guy that just as soon as I woke up, I remember I was, I kept like I was asleep and I, I all of a sudden just woke up with this how to structure the sermon and and I was just like, ah, I just go back to sleep. And I kept trying to go back to sleep. So I'm going to deal with it. I'm just too tired. And, and I am not the guy who just like, oh, God gave me this. That's not me. I, I'm the guy who's like wrestling with it. And then I, I want to go back to sleep and trying to figure it out. And then, and then even then when I talked to her about it this morning, I'm like, okay, I'm not 100% sure this is from God. You know, I, I just, I just, and, and I, so even then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a cynical person. I'm, I'm definitely not that guy, that pastor who's just like, oh, and then God told me, and then God told me, and then God told me. 
You know, I hear people say that and I'm like, cool, man, I wish he would tell me more. Like he tells you, I, I didn't, I, I, you, that's how we're knowing where we're going to lunch. God told us to go. Okay, cool. Let's go there. I, I, you know, so I'm just not that guy. And yet I have to be open. We have to open ourselves up. And the more we open ourselves up, it is amazing how you see God work. And Simeon was open. Simeon was open to seeing God. Jesus brings hope when we are open to seeing him work. Notice here, though, also, that Simeon sees that Jesus is not just the king of Israel, but for the Gentiles. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Jesus, he, Simeon sees that Jesus is not just for the Jewish nation. He's for everyone. So if you're new to the Bible, just so you know, the word Gentile, all it means is non-Jews. Right? As far as I know, if in this room, it means everyone but Eric. Um, <laughs> if you don't know Eric, Eric's Jewish. Um, <laughs> but but it, 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 it basically, it's, it's talking about anyone who is not born a Jew is, is a Gentile. Okay, so when we read that in the Bible, that's, what, that's all it's talking about. That's how Jewish people referred to all the different nations. And even here in verse 32, we see that Simeon is getting the revelation that Jesus is not just for Israel. He is for all people. I love that. And today, Jesus offers us the same hope that he offered Simeon when he looked down on that little baby boy and he saw hope. There's a, a poet named Carl Sandburg, and he says that he says this. I love this line. He says, "A baby, a baby, is God's opinion that the world should go on." I love that. A baby is the world is God's opinion that the world should go on. But when Simeon saw the baby Jesus, he saw that it was God's opinion that the world should go on with a new hope. Well, now we jump down to the last part of this chapter. And Mary and Joseph are, and their family are traveling to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Big feast. It was, it was required that all, at least all the men come to Passover um, in Jerusalem and anyone that could should. So they would all travel and they're traveling in a big caravan. It was very common to, for them to travel in caravans at the time. One, it was much safer, but also it was more fun, right? Big, big road trip, you know, a walking road trip to, uh, to these places, and they would talk and eat and hang out and, and camp together, and the children would have a lot of people to play with. Well, after the feast, they're heading home, and it gets to be at nighttime, and they realize that Jesus isn't with them. Jesus is 12 years old at the time, and he's not with them. They're in this big caravan. They thought Jesus was with the other children. Now, if you know Shane... And I think I've even shared this a little bit before. I lose my children. I've lost all of my children somewhere. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I forget them. I forget them places. And then I, and then I have to go find them and try not to let Tanya know. Um, so, but I've, I've, been, I've been guilty this many times. But we had one particular instance, which it was not just my fault. Tanya was with, with me on this one. Um, we lost Rachel in Tijuana. Um, yeah, not the best place. Way different than Marshall's. Like it's not, um, and, 
So we, we were on a mission trip, and we would go on these mission trips. We'd take 10, 15 youth and a couple other adults, and we would go on these trips, and we would bring our kids. And we would go, and we'd go down there, and we'd work. And then on our way back, we'd stop. If you've ever been to TJ, there's a, there's a kind of a central shopping area, and we'd stop and let the kids do some souvenir shopping for an hour or so, just kind of, we'd park in this place, walk down a block, cross the street, walk up a block, and then there was a restaurant right across from where we would park. And we would all eat in that restaurant and then cross the street back and go home. So we had finished eating and it's time to go home. And, and if you've ever crossed the street there, it's like playing Frogger. And so you, get, you, you gather everybody. And my job as the lead person was to just hope that not very many of them got hit crossing the street. So we, we would, I would judge when the best time to cross was. And as soon as I would say, I was like, go, 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 go. And I would just stand in the middle and hope they would cross fast enough before I could get them across, uh, before a car came and hit me. So, um, so we do that. We get to the parking lot and I do my count and I'm one short. So I count one more time and I'm one short. And all of a sudden I think, my kids. And I, can't, I look around frantically, and sure enough, Rachel's not there. She's about, I'm going to look to Tanya here for confirmation, seven. Thank you. She was seven. So my heart about leaps out of my chest. And we, I run across the street. I look at the restaurant. She's not there. By the time I, in, in my very bad, broken Spanish, able to find out, wit, ask some questions, Tanya's caught me. We find out, they're literally pointing like she went down the street. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I tell Tony, you look in each shop. I'm going to kind of glance, but I'm going to go down the street. I get all the way to the end of the block. No, Rachel. My heart's really flying at this point. And I asked them, the shop owners there if they'd seen her and they point that she crossed the street down the neck to the next block. So I, I run down there and about halfway across, I see her on the other side of the busy, busy street running back up. Thankfully, holding the hand of the restaurant manager, and she, he had done his best to try to figure out where, ask her where she was as soon as he saw us cross, cross the street. She had got confused. There was a parking lot down the street, and she thought since we had walked up the street, that's where we were. Anyway, point is, we found her in like 15 minutes. Jesus' parents are so lame, it took them three days to find her. So I'm just saying, Okay. <laughs> So, so we, we found them about 15 minutes, but that moment, those 15 minutes were the scariest 15 minutes of my life. And, and I've had life threat, threatening things in my life, that kind of stuff. But the scariest 15 minutes of my life to know that my baby that I was responsible for was lost. And, and also, if you've ever seen the movie Burning Man, this came out like that. This happened about a year after that movie came out. And anyway, if you know of that movie, you'll know why it's even scarier. Um, but but it was but it was extremely scary. Well, they find Jesus, and sure enough, after three days, they find him. Figure it took them a day to travel back, and then probably there was nighttime, and then on that third day, they found him. They find him, and where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And he's sitting among other grown teachers and he's discussing God's word and he's teaching and he's learning and he's, and he's asking questions. And they find him and it says in verse 20, uh, 48, 
It says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, I don't think we have the full inflection by reading these. I'm picturing mom here. Um, Most of us, if you've had many kids, I know those of you who have no kids, you're completely judging me uh, that I lost my kids. But most of us at some point have at least, even if it's a minute, have misplaced one of our children. And it is a frantic thing. I've seen many people do it. I've watched moms in stores do it and, you know, and then try to help them. And, and, and you, you, you watch the franticness on their face. So I got to imagine Mary was at that point, you know that point when you find the kid and you, you hug him really tight like you don't want to lose him and then you pull him apart and you, uh, from you and you, you hold him really tight and you go, where were you? And, you know, and you're mad, but you're also like really happy to see him. I got to imagine that was what was going on with Mary. And then Jesus, he, listen, listen to him again, but listen to him as a 12-year-old. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I literally picture him saying, duh, afterwards. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I know he didn't. I, I, I don't know. I don't think he did. But, but that's what I picture because he's 12. So, so I don't think we get the fullness of this. But I, but I do think it shows us that we have hope through Jesus because Jesus knew his business. He knew what he was here for. He was dedicated to the purpose that God had for him. I don't know how I phrased that, but will you put that one up? There we go. He had a plan and a purpose that he carried out. Even at 12 years old, Jesus carried out his purpose. I think it's also interesting that you notice Jesus even though he respects Joseph as his earthly father, because if you read the rest of those verses, it shows that he does. Um, Even at this age, he knew. He knew that he was different. He knew who he was. I think it's interesting that this was at 12 years old because that was right about the age that boys would start apprenticeships. If you grew up during that time, you would start an apprenticeship. If you were going to be trained in your, your father's business, you would literally follow, your, you would go from just having every now and then seeing what your dad did and hanging out with him at his shop to actually learning, learning piece by piece what he did and how he did it. And if you weren't going to be trained under your father, you were literally sent off at that age to go live with whoever you were going to apprentice under. And you would follow them and live and do what they were doing so that you could learn to do what they did. And here we have Jesus at this age saying, hey, I'm about my father's business. And I just want to close with this, that thought, that Jesus had a plan and a purpose that he carried out. And our hope today is in Jesus our hope in Jesus is, is in Jesus and what he can do and what he has done because he knew his purpose. Let's close out by watching Stephanie's video. So I started to dig. You know, I, um, 
I look back on that time and it's like I was getting up at like five in the morning and I was studying the Bible. I was getting up at, at five in the morning and I was watching YouTube videos of other people who had had um, faith walks who had come from a similar background from me and where they went, you know, what conclusions they came to. After I had spent all of this time researching, um, I remember I, I got to this place where I was like, Jesus is real. You know, he is like, he is uh, a historical figure that um, even the secular world acknowledges him and um, that there are proofs and prophecies and things that um, really uh, just defy um, understanding that that happened and that we can um you know as much as we can i i wasn't there you know and so like it um it wasn't that i never had questions again but it's just like no this is like a real person you know someone that i can um i don't know something that i can stand on so at that time um I had some extenuating circumstances and life started to get hard. Um, my husband started to have some pretty serious health issues and um, my kind of previous satisfaction is like, okay, like I, um, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is who he says he is, but um, I don't know him necessarily. Um, and, but the hard circumstances kind of made it necessary for me to know. It's like, okay, God, like my life is hard. I need to see you moving in, uh, in my life. I need, I need help. I need help in navigating this. And so I, um, and I remember this really vividly. Um, I was driving to homeschool co-op and, um, I was just, telling God that I was done trying, you know, everything that I had done wasn't working and my life yet again was falling to, falling to a new low. And, um, I just told God that I couldn't do it. And, um, um, that I was done trying. And, um, all of a sudden I just felt flooded. Um, I felt that God told me that I didn't have to, um, that he knew that I couldn't do it. And, um, yeah, just realizing that my, uh, my hope was in Jesus and what he did and not, and what I could do. Um, it was, uh, you know, um, I think I try really hard not to hyper-spiritualize things, um, but it was absolutely like a visceral experience. Um, and really the only way that I can describe it now is just feeling like I was flooded with love, flooded with God's love for me. And, um, you know, I had met Jesus. I had met God in, in that moment. And, and he was, um, real both, uh, provably and physically evidence wise, but he was also, um, real and could be experienced uh, emotionally and spiritually. What Jesus Christ and what he represents to me now is that uh, 
God is here, that he's interacting with us now, that he didn't just make us and leave us here and not give us um, anything to hold on to, that he didn't um, just expect us to have blind faith, that he, um, he had a plan and he had a purpose that he was carrying out himself, um, not based on what we do, but on what only God could accomplish, that God became flesh and lived the life that only a perfect God could live, and that is a perfect life, and then God had to become flesh in order to be able to die for us as a sacrifice for all the things that we couldn't do. And... Um, my favorite name um, that Jesus is called is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And for me, that was um, just that God would come down and be with us, that he would be flesh and that he had um, every intention of doing that, that he had a plan to carry out those things. And, um, and then what's left is we just get to love him. We just get to be in relationship. And I think that's all, you know, like I really wanted, you know, I wanted to um, not have to um, just do X, Y, Z in order to be acceptable to my father in heaven, um, that I can have a relationship with him now. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to have you join us for a live gathering. We are located at 271 North, 600 West in Heber City, Utah. If you need more information about us, including our gathering times or previous teachings, you can find all that at mvfchurch.com. And make sure you follow us on social media too. See you next time.